Good morning. We're going to read from Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to um, 16. If you're following along on the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1323. 1323. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will notice, take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea come down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this... The men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Our second reading comes from Romans chapter 3, verse 21, and it's on page 1604, if you're following along in the Pew Bibles. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, apart from the law... The righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given 
through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Thanks, Linda. Well, good morning, everyone. It's really good to be gathered together on this first day of a new year uh, to worship God and to hear from his word together. Uh, Go your own way. Have you seen those Isuzu ads? If you buy one of our cars, you can go wherever you want, do whatever you want, see whatever you want. Nothing can stop you in an Isuzu. It's a pretty good piece of advertising, isn't it? Because we all want to go our own way. We all want control of our lives because we know what's best for us, don't we? And nothing should stand in our way. No government should tell us how to live our lives. No boss should tell me what to do. The only one who should be able to tell me what to do is me. That's the gospel of individualism that our society preaches, isn't it? The goal of life is to do what I want, to be what I want, to go my own way. Uh, Well, we're starting a new series looking at the book of Jonah today, and Jonah receives a message from God to go preach to God's judgment to Nineveh. Uh, But in chapter 1, Jonah disobeys God and goes his own way. And, And so God judges Jonah as he turns away. But God shows deep mercy to those who turn back to him. Let's pray as we begin our time together. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word uh, given to us uh, that we may know you and worship you as we should. Uh, I pray that this morning you would be speaking through me uh, so that we would be changed to be more like you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, Well, we don't know a heap about Jonah outside of this book. Uh, His only other mention in scripture is in 2 Kings 14. Uh, But there we do learn a couple of important things. Uh, Firstly, we learn that Jonah was a prophet. He serves in the northern kingdom of Israel under Jeroboam II. And verse 24 says, uh, Jeroboam, the second king of Israel, Jeroboam II, did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam I, the son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. Uh, Jonah served in a time where Israel had gone their own way. Uh, uh, Jeroboam, Israel's leader, was turned away from God and where he led, Israel followed. And Jonah stands as the representative for Israel. Jonah's actions reveal Israel's heart. And so God's message to Israel in this passage is that he judges those who turn away. But to those who turn back to him, He shows deep mercy. 
Uh, so let's start in our passage. In, in verses 1 and 2, the, the narrative begins as God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh. Uh, the Ninevites were turned away from God. Uh, they were an incredibly evil people. But God is merciful to the Ninevites because God sends Jonah to warn the Gentiles, these Gentiles, about God's impending judgment. Uh, see God's word there in verse 2. He says to Jonah, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Uh, Jonah is told to get up and go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was one of the big cities of Assyria. Assyria was one of the superpowers in the ancient Near East region. They're a constant threat right on Israel's doorstep. And Nineveh itself represents everything evil about Assyria. The Old Testament scholar Brian Estelle says that Nineveh became a symbol representing the forces of evil against the people of God. Uh, the very name Nineveh was disgusting to God's people. The Ninevites are so wicked that God takes notice. He responds by sending Jonah, and he tells Jonah to go preach. But sure, God tells Jonah to go preach against Nineveh, but these people are so wicked. Do they deserve to be warned of God's judgment on them? But God is merciful to those he judges. And Jonah would have been shocked because the Lord was only the God of Israel, wasn't he? Only they have a relationship with him. Why would God want to warn these Gentiles? It would be like God calling someone here to go to Moscow, to confront them with their wicked acts, to warn them of God's judgment for turning away from him. It's been almost a year since Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, the Pentagon estimate that 200,000 Russian and Ukrainian soldiers have died. 40,000 civilians have been murdered. Eight million Ukrainians are seeking refuge throughout Europe. It's incredibly evil, isn't it? I tell you what, when I look at the Russian government's actions, I'm glad for God's judgment. I'm grateful that they won't get away with their wickedness, that God will judge them. So to go and warn Russian officials of God's judgment, if we're honest with ourselves, it stings a little bit, doesn't it? They deserve God's judgment, but why should they get any warning? That's how Jonah would have felt. Surely God's mercy of warning only extends to his people, Israel. But everyone's gone their own way. And God is merciful to warn people of his judgment. Have you ever considered that it's a merciful act to warn people of God's judgment? I think when we think of sharing God's judgment with people, we think of it in two ways, either vindictively or shyly. We think about it vindictively like with Russia. You people are evil, you will be judged and you deserve it. Or we can shy away from talking about it, can't we? Because deep down, we sort of think God's judgment is vindictive. And so we don't share it at all. But the truth is, God's judgment is just. Anyone who turns away from him is subject to his judgment. It's merciful to warn people of that. And to call them to turn back to God. 
Uh, in verse 3, Jonah himself turns away from God. It, he decides to go his own way and he runs. He goes down to Joppa, buys a boat ticket and hightails out of there. Uh, now this part of uh, scripture, it's actually meant to be laughed at. It is a very funny read. Uh, the geography really helps us to see how funny this is. Uh, so there are two places where Jonah might have been called from. He might have been up uh, in Gath Hefer, which was his uh, birthplace, or he might have been down in Shechem. Uh, Shechem was the place where the northern kingdom of Israel ruled from. Uh, Gath Hefer was a small village uh, just where near where Nazareth is, and Shechem is in the modern town of Nablus. God tells Jonah uh, to go up from there to Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh was up in the northeast, and it was just near Mosul uh, in Iraq. Uh, but instead of going up to Nineveh, Jonah goes down to Joppa. Uh, Joppa was a port town just near Tel Aviv. Uh, but Jonah's not done running yet. He, he hops on board a boat destined for Tarshish. Tarshish is the furthest port known to Israel. In their minds, it's the other end of the earth. Uh, these days, most people think that uh, Tarshish was in Cadiz in Spain. And if you map it all out, it's laughably ridiculous, isn't it? Jonah's told to go up, and he goes down. Jonah's told to go east, and he goes as far west as he possibly could. God tells Jonah to go one way, but Jonah turns the other way. He goes his own way, all to escape God. It's pretty astounding disobedience, isn't it? In fact, Jonah's disobedience is just as funny as those viral cat videos, the disobedient ones. Do you know the ones I'm talking about? A cat's sitting there, it's looking at the precious piece of China, uh, it sees its owner, and the owner says, no, don't do that, and that's when, the owner, uh, that's when the cat decides to swipe it off the table. Jonah's disobedience is just the same. He looks at God, receives God's command, and does the opposite. The sheer audacity of Jonah's disobedience, it's laughable, isn't it? But if we think about it, we're just the same, aren't we? We turn from God's way and go our own way. We're like disobedient children, because who of us haven't been told by a parent, don't do that, and then done the opposite? Who of us have not, knowing that we're doing the wrong thing, gone and done it anyway? We're all as disobedient as Jonah. We've all gone our own way. And in verses 4 to 16, we see the consequence of disobedience. God's judgment. And we see two ways to respond to God's judgment. Either to stay turned away or to turn back to God. And see, in verse 4, God sends a violent storm that could destroy the boat. And the sailors are afraid. In verses 4 to 16, fear is the central theme. In verse 5, the sailors react with action, but Jonah reacts in inaction. The sailors are willing to try anything to escape the storm, but Jonah keeps running away from God's judgment. In fact, Jonah continues his journey down, doesn't he? He's gone down to Joppa, down to board a boat. Now, in this scary storm, he goes down to the bottom of the boat. But even in the bottom of the boat, he cannot escape God's judgment, can he? 
He hears it as the waves crash against the side of the boat. He feels it as his bed is tossed to and fro. And so he continues his trek downwards as he falls into a deep sleep. I wonder if any of you have been on a boat during some uh, rough weather before? Uh, I have. It, it feels a little bit like a roller coaster. Uh, the floor is moving up and down, left and right, back and forth, and you're never sure where it's going to go next. It's not exactly ideal sleeping conditions, is it? But that's how far Jonah is willing to run from God. He, he'll go down into a deep slumber just to keep his back turned on God. In verse 6, the captain comes out and yells at Jonah, get up, call out to your God. It's a bit ironic seeing as Jonah's running from his God, isn't it? And the captain's attitude, it's a stark contrast to Jonah's attitude. The captain doesn't assume Jonah's God will act. He says, maybe your God will act. For the captain, whatever God Jonah worships, they're free to do as they please. But Jonah doesn't think that, does he? God commands him to go to Nineveh, but Jonah goes the other way. Jonah thinks he can say no to God's plans. He thinks he can defy God's plans to show mercy to the Ninevites. But as Jonah runs in defiance of God's mercy, God uses Jonah's defiance to show mercy to some Gentile sailors as well. God's plans of mercy can't be ruined by Jonah's running. In fact, it just gives God an opportunity to show even deeper mercy. Verse 7 cuts back to the action on deck. The sailors cast lots to work out who is responsible for the storm. The word calamity there, it's actually the same word in verse 2 for wickedness. The lots land on Jonah Jonah's disobedience is on par with Nineveh. The sailors interrogate Jonah. Who are you? Where have you come from? And why are you here? And Jonah confesses that he worships Yahweh, the one who created all things and controls all things. The paying lip service to God isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card, is it? Jonah is still turned away from Yahweh. The sailors know that he's running from God. He's still subject to God's judgment. And Jonah's confession terrifies the sailors. Remember I said the word fear is the central theme of this section. Well, in the Hebrew, the word for worship here is the same as the word for fear. And the word terrified in verse 10, it's also the word for fear. It just means to be filled with even more fear. So why does the author use the same words? Well, in the Old Testament, worship and fear of the Lord are synonyms. And worship is recognizing who God is. It's acknowledging that God is the only one with authority to show mercy and to judge. And it's throwing ourselves on the mercy of God. When we fear God, we don't go our own way, do we? Because God judges justly those who go their own way. So it's a pretty apparent comparison between the sailors and Jonah's, uh, Jonah, isn't it? Uh, the sailors are afraid in the face of God's judgment. But while Jonah says he fears the Lord, he's brazenly apathetic to God's judgment. 
He says he worships God, but he continues to go his own way. In verses 11 and 12, the storm reaches its peak. The sailors beg Jonah, what can we do? And Jonah says to throw him down into the sea. In the face of God's judgment, Jonah stays turned away from God. He continues his descent down. Jonah could have turned back to God. He, he could have cried out to God for, his, for God's mercy. But instead, he takes matters into his own hands. In the face of God's judgment, Jonah stays turned away. The sailors try to fight the storm, but no one can overcome God's judgment in their own strength, can they? And so in the face of God's judgment, the sailors throw themselves on God's mercy. See there in verse 14, they cry out to the Lord. They beg for his mercy. They acknowledge God's sovereignty to do as he pleases. They toss Jonah overboard and the storm goes silent. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? In a story filled with disobedience and judgment, and when God's own prophet turns his back on his God, these pagan sailors call out to God. They use his covenant name, Yahweh. They acknowledge his authority and power. They're obedient to him. And God is merciful to them and calms the storm. After they've been confronted by God's just judgment, they're now embraced in his deep mercy. And so their fear goes from fear of the storm to fear of the Lord. God's judgment of Jonah ends in the surprising salvation of sailors. This story, it, it reminds us that the same is true for us. God judges Gentile Ninevites. But Jonah doesn't escape God's judgment just because he's Jewish. God is merciful to these Gentile sailors who turn back to him. God judges everyone who turns away from him, but anyone who turns back to him, he shows deep mercy to. And in this passage about God's disobedient prophet, there's an amazing parallel to Jesus, isn't there? Because sleeping in a boat during a storm sounds familiar, doesn't it? It sounds a bit like Jesus in the Gospels. He goes out on a boat, a storm whips up, his disciples are terrified, but Jesus sleeps. But the similarities in narrative are opposite in meaning. Jonah goes down in disobedience to God. Jesus comes down out of heaven in obedience to his father. Jonah falls asleep because he's trying to escape God's judgment. Jesus falls asleep because he completely trusts in God's protection. Jonah goes down to drown in the sea rather than to turn back to God. Jesus obediently went down to Calvary to be crucified for the forgiveness of sins. Jonah's disobedience, it points us to Jesus as perfect obedience. Because the Lord Jesus is everything that Jonah could never be. And out of Jesus and Jonah, who are we more like? 
We're more like Jonah, aren't we? Jonah's the go-your-own-way prophet who exposes go-your-own-way people. He exposes Nineveh. He exposes Israel. And he's the prophet who exposes us too. Because there's no difference. We, all, we are all go-your-own-way people. Uh, Paul shows us that in Romans 3. He says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all turned away from God. We're all deserving of his judgment. Uh, But Paul also says in uh, verse 24, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus for those who turn to God and believe. Through God's free gift of grace, we can turn back to God. In verse 25, Paul says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. A a sacrifice of atonement means uh, it is what appeases God's God's judgment. In Christ's sacrificial atonement, God's judgment turns away from those who receive Christ's sacrifice by faith. In Christ Jesus, we are made right in God's eyes. Uh, Verse 26 says that in the Lord Jesus, God's righteousness in his judgment and mercy are on full display. God is just to judge those who turn away from him. But he is merciful to those who turn back to him in faith. He is merciful to justify and to make righteous. And if we continue to go our own way, Jesus' death on the cross shows us what God's judgment looks like. If we turn our back on God, he will turn his back on us. We will be separated from God. It will be an eternal death. Today, ask yourself, am I turned away from God? Am I going my own way? If you are, turn back to God. Confess to God that you have wronged him by going your own way. Put your trust in Christ's blood shed for you to forgive your sins. Because of Christ, we can be confident in God's deep mercy for us forever. Uh, For those of us who have always had church as part of our lives, there's two big takeaways from this passage. They can be summed up like this. Don't be like Jonah. Uh, Don't be like Jonah in the way we worship. Don't be like Jonah in the way we evangelise. Firstly, don't be like Jonah in the way we worship. Because think about it. Throughout this story, he displays, Jonah displays an incredible knowledge of God. He's calm and level-headed in the face of terrifying danger because he knows who God is. He knows he deserves God's judgment. He can even admit that he's been sinful. But he never turns back to God. He keeps going his own way. We can be like that too, can't we? We Presbyterians, we'd love to come to church. Hey, we're all here on New Year's Day. We love to grow in knowledge of God's word. We love our reformed heritage and deep theological discussions. But do we love God? Or do we just love being puffed up in our superior knowledge? 
I remember when my parents first told me about Reformed theology. I went away and did a lot of reading. I found out lots about the doctrines and theology. And while it started me on the journey to where I am today, well, there was a long time where I was just obnoxious in my knowledge. I thought I was better than my friends because I got it. All that knowledge doesn't make a difference until it changes our heart. Maybe that's you. Uh, Maybe you're a lifelong Presbyterian and the rhythms of church have just always been part of your life. Maybe you're a new Christian and you're getting into reading the theological heavyweights like Calvin and Owen. Now all of that is great, but ask yourself, do I love God? Do I worship Him? Do I have faith in Him? Or am I turned away from God? Am I just worshipping myself by feeling superior in what I know? Is my trust actually in the things I do rather than the mercy of God? That's true for you. Turn back to God. Fall on his mercy and know that Christ's atoning sacrifice covers your sin. Secondly, don't be like Jonah in the way we evangelise. And not that Jonah really evangelizes, does he? As soon as he's told to, he runs away. But don't we run too? When we get the opportunity to share the gospel of grace with people, don't we shy away? Funnily enough, I think it's actually the atheist magician, Pendulet, who puts it best. He sums it up like this. He says... If you um, believe that there's a heaven and a hell and and people could be going to hell or not receiving eternal life and you think it's really not worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelise? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? It's a confronting quote, but it's true. Because God judges those who turn away, but God is merciful to those who turn back to him. Eternal life is at stake, stake. so let's be bold in telling people the good news of eternal life through Jesus. Uh, Maybe you're sitting there, and you have been evangelising to someone regularly, a neighbour, a friend, a family member, and nothing seems to be getting through. Nothing seems to change and you're feeling discouraged. Well, doesn't this passage give us an encouragement as well? Because the sailors receive a surprising salvation. When Jonah runs, the sailors turn back to God. God can save people unexpectedly through us. Uh, I've been floored in the last few years by God's deep mercy. A few of my friends from high school have become Christians. Uh, Now I've lost contact with them since uh, we finished high school, but when I've seen that they've become Christians, I've messaged them to share my excitement at their conversion. And they've mentioned that I said or did something in high school that had an impact on them, that planted a seed. Now, as far as I remember, I was just a standard rat bag in high school. I I wouldn't have thought that anything I did could be used by God to bring others into his kingdom. But God's deep mercy is given through surprising circumstances. God saves people unexpectedly through us. 
So as we begin a new year, let's be encouraged by God's deep mercy. Let's call people to turn back to God. Let's encourage one another to keep going God's way. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your judgment, but we thank you even more for your deep mercy to us. And we thank you that we can see it on full display in the Lord Jesus. Help us to stay turned to you and help us to share that message that people would turn back to you as well. We pray these things in your name. Amen.